1: That's who.
0: Andy Moore, Automotive Group Potline. Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, is with us. How you doing, Brad? I'm doing great. How you doing? Oh, we're just, oh, whoa was us around here as always. That's all we're talking about. Injury this, something's tweaked, something's ripped, something's torn, something's gone awry, always around here. Is that Slep Rock enough for you? Yeah, <laughs> that sounds Yeah. <all> right. <laughs> Hey, I do want to start here. Like I've seen some mock drafts, and these are way, way too early. Don't get me wrong, but there seems to be a lot of national folks that believe in in some fashion that the Colts are not going to pay Michael Pittman Jr. to return, either. You know, with um, you know, you're bringing him back in a franchise tag, or you know, extending him, giving him. You know, more money, certainly more years. You get that feel that that's what's going to take place around here? Because obviously, nationally, it kind of seems like the direction that they're going.
2: Yeah, I definitely get that vibe as well. I just don't think you can let Michael Pittman go after the season he just had and how he grew in this offense. And again, it worked with a different quarterback, a different system. And again, just, you know, the floor seems so astronomically high for him at this point. Um, and, and I still do think that you bring back an Anthony Richardson into the fold, and whatever you want to say about Michael Pittman, if maybe people want to talk about a limited ceiling or he's not quite the you know vertical threat of an X receiver or yada yada yada, a six foot four, two hundred twenty five pound physical possession guy who rarely if ever drops the football might be the best thing you could possibly ask for uh, if you're trying to bring Anthony Richardson along in the NFL. So uh, I just don't think you can let him go.
0: Yeah, I I don't either. And there are some around here that that feel that he is not dynamic enough, but I I just – he's somebody you can count on. He's somebody that is tough. And as you mentioned, you have to, as many weapons as possible, and especially one that, again, you're going to reboot the rookie status of Anthony Richardson, that is somebody he's not going to have to reacclimate to. I think all of this weighs as heavy importance with this ultimate decision
2: yeah no there's no doubt about it so so it's going to be interesting, but they also if you bring in other you know factors and variables like they they have flexibility and the, and, and the um you know if they want to do it, they certainly can, you want to build around this cheap contract, you can pay players across the roster you know reward in-house guys I just everything kind of points in that direction.
0: to so Brad Spielberger, pro football focus on the Andy Moore Automotive group hotline. what is the market value? let's just say what's the value across the board of the NFL? for Michael Pittman Jr.
2: Yeah, so, you know, I think that it's interesting if he does hit unrestricted free agency, you're, of course, going to get, you know, bidders driving up the price, especially if, you know, let's say a T. Higgins does not hit the market in Cincinnati and Pittman becomes the clear-cut number one option. I think it would it would line up really, really well for him because there are some other solid players, but, you know, a guy like a Calvin Ridley in the division, 29 years old, you know, I mean, guys like, you know, Darnell Mooney in Chicago, a really good young player, but had a down year, Gabriel Davidson, Buffalo, kind of a one-dimensional deep threat, not a very uh, you know nuanced player, not a great route runner, things of that nature. So I think at that point you're talking $23, $24 million a year if he hits the open market. Um, I think you can maybe get a little bit below that, and you talk more about the that kind of second tier, 21-22, just below some of the premier number one options across the league. But you never know. I mean, the price always goes up. We know how these markets rise. The last thing I would say, though, um, which has been a big lesson for me in doing the free agency projections every year, is the draft class at the position matters a ton as well. And this is viewed as a not just the top, but top to bottom, depth, everything, a phenomenal, phenomenal wide receiver draft class. So maybe that brings down a little bit as well. Some of those suitors say, you know what, we'd love to have Michael Pittman, but we'll pivot, we'll use a top two, you know, first two-round pick on a receiver instead. But anyway... It's certainly above $20 comfortably so, um, whether it's in Indianapolis or elsewhere.
0: Hey, Brad, it's also been mentioned, I think Brock Bowers, the the tight end, or just kind of an offensive specialist, if you will. But the tight end from Georgia has been mentioned as a possibility, too. What does the tight end draft look like? Outside of, obviously, he's, uh, if not the best, among those at the highest level. What else is involved with this draft coming up?
2: So that's kind of the opposite. He he is going to be a first-round pick, probably a top-20 draft pick, and then I'm not sure you see one until the third round. I mean, I could be wrong on that, but there are some interesting different types of players. Um, Jatavian Sanders at Miami will be a very good Kind of, like, low average depth of target, you know, throw it to him in the flat, let him make some players miss in space, get some yards for the catch type of guy, line up in the backfield, line up in the line, do different things, but not going to be like an inline blocker, um, not going to be a guy you're targeting very far down the field, at least from my perspective. Maybe he grows into that. Um, it is a position that changes, you know, pretty dramatically from the college level to the NFL level. And then there's some other solid players. Like if you, if you are looking for an inline blocking type guy, AJ Barner at Michigan had a good year, came along um, and really carved out a nice role. Uh, I'm, I'm now, of course, I'm blanking on, on, on the fellow's name, but there's a guy, Cade oh, Stover, Kate Stover at Ohio State. I think will be one of your classic third, maybe fourth round players. He's probably the best blocker that I've watched so far in the class. Um, can line up in line, can really do well in a blocking game, and then can catch, like, sure-handed, not, not a speedster, not a guy that's going to make players miss in space, but might bowl over uh, a defensive back here and there. But, but long answer short, like, Bowers is the guy that goes early, and then I think the rest are, you know, you shouldn't even expect them to contribute much as a rookie in the NFL.
0: It's uh, Brad Spielberger of Pro Football Focus on the Andy Morrill Automotive Group hotline every uh, Tuesday right here. So when they punted Mike Vrabel, um, you thought that heavy offense may be the direction the Titans go, and they do, with offensive coordinator formerly in Cincinnati, Brian Callahan. What would you make of that hire? Yeah, it's interesting. I, it's very funny. I thought
2: that for, for a while in Cincinnati, I felt as though the offense put so much on Joe Burrow. And it was, they're in 11 personnel, meaning three receiver sets. They're in shotgun. They have the highest shotgun rate in the NFL. Almost never went under center. Um, And even just the route concepts, a lot of it was just, you know, go routes on the sideline for Jamar Chase and T Higgins. And look, obviously it's working. You're making Super Bowls. You're making AFC Championship games. But I just felt like how many easy throws are they manufacturing for Joe Burrow and how much of it is Joe Burrow just being awesome, um, making things work in structure and outside of structure. What I found fascinating was – they then finally you saw some transitioning and some pivoting as it got a little bit tougher, and then more so when Jake Browning comes in, and you're seeing a ton of you know different concepts, high-low concepts to get these checkdowns or these these screen outs to Jamar Chase or Chase Brown, the rookie running back. Like I just thought, you saw so much more creativity. Maybe once they felt they had to be creative you know, to help a, a lesser talented guy, that, I, that that encouraged me and showed me, okay, they, they can adapt and change what they're doing uh, and change their approach. So I think it's a good hire. The last piece for me, I know he's under contract with the Cleveland Browns. Um, this shouldn't be why you think of a head coach as a good hire, but his dad, Bill Callahan, is widely regarded as one of, if not the best offensive line coaches um, in the entire NFL. You'd have to think that, Maybe not right away, but at some point he might go join his son uh, and be the offensive line coach, and Tennessee has the worst offensive line in the NFL. So, you
0: know, th- that element entices me too. So, it's, uh, Brad Spielberger with us. What did you make of the elevation hire of Dan Morgan in Carolina? I thought it was interesting.
2: You know, so I had heard really, really good things, more so actually from his coworkers in Buffalo uh, before he went over to Carolina, just spoke very, very highly of him. Everyone said he was going to be a future GM at some point in the league not surprised he became an assistant GM and you know not purely a football guy I think people see hey the former linebacker that wore a neck roll at Miami uh you know t- top 10 pick and was a good NFL player they might think he's just football 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 what I heard is no he's open minded he wants to learn about you know analytics he wants to learn more about the salary cap and roster construction and and so he's I think really cerebral and approaches it in a way where he does have his expertise and his skill set, which is, you know, evaluating and scouting talent, but also wants to build out a coherent front office, a, you know, a comprehensive approach. Um, I know it's going to be looked on poorly. People are going to say, Oh, they just promoted a guy who, who was a part of drafting Bryce young and yada, yada, yada. He was in Buffalo for great times. He was in Seattle for great times. This is a guy that went, came from two organizations that were contenders pretty much every year he was there, don't just paint him as, you know, oh, he's been in Carolina for the hard times. Yes, he has. uh, But he also has done a lot of good in his NFL career.
0: It's a Brad Spielberger pro football focus on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. So we thought maybe and, and now obviously Brian Johnson done is offensive coordinator for Nick Sirianni in Philadelphia. Um, we thought initially maybe there was some interest in an in offensive mind with the Colts and Jim Bob Cooter. Has that faded or was there ever any interest there in general?
2: I, I saw a report there that that it's not going to happen, like that particular connection. You know, obviously these guys are all you know interconnected and sure. and have you know cross paths. But I, I saw a report earlier today that that's not going to be the replacement there. I feel bad for Brian Johnson. I think he still probably is a rising star in this league and should get another shot. I, I feel like it's a scapegoating to a degree, just because you know it's still Nick Sirianni's offense, and, and I know he was probably calling plays, but it was Nick Sirianni's offense and Johnson's track record. I mean, the guy was an offensive coordinator at Utah when he was 25 years old. Um, like a couple of years after graduating college, he was already calling plays for a, you know a big uh, power five offense. So I think he'll work his way back through. His track record of developing quarterbacks is remarkable. Um, you know, J- Jalen Hurts, Dak Prescott, Kyle Allen, back in college, like every quarterback he worked with went on to do good things. So he'll, he'll be back. I don't love the move there. I think it is, like I said, a bit of a scapegoating, but. Yeah, a big, big year for Nick Sirianni. I know he has the Colts connection. Uh, A lot of pressure on him in 2024.
0: It kind of seems like, too, and and maybe I'm proven wrong, it kind of seems like most of the Colts staff will will stay together in this offseason. You feel the same way?
2: Yeah, that's the sense I'm getting. Um, and also just, you know, when I do poke around and kind of read some of the good journalists that cover the team, that, that seems to be the case, uh, that they're going to keep the unit together, which, which I think is certainly a good thing. I mean, at a high level, I thought it was cool, you know, of Steichen to be open-minded to keeping, you know, Gus Bradley in the fold. And then obviously his whole offensive staff and position coaches and all those people coming aboard. I, I mean, they did a great job. And I think that it'd be understandable if other teams start maybe poking around and they start to get poached at some point especially Jim Bob Cooter, you know, called plays for Detroit like a decade ago at this point, um, obviously has a lot of experience, but I think this offseason they're probably going to stick around.
0: So Brad Spielberger with us. So should the Niners be this weekend more concerned about the incoming, the inbound Lions or their own quarterback?
2: It's a Fair question. <laughs> um, I will say for Brock Purdy, you know, it's a bit of an excuse, sure, but the weather I think really, really bothered him and the, the forecast, in San Fran is, is much better. I think it's low 60s, uh, no rain, and, and lower winds. So, I mean, yeah, Purdy was not good. He, he was late on some throws. There was that near interception over the middle um, on the ball to Brandon Ayuk that probably should have been picked off. He, he was bad. There's no question about it. But he, he made a lot of mistakes that just he hasn't made on film the entire year. So, so maybe he was just a little bit rattled um, You know, back in the playoffs, bad conditions, all of those things. And the Lions secondary, I mean, has just been getting absolutely gashed. I mean, Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, threw threw all over them in that game. Mike Evans was uncoverable. And and then you also see, you know, just the last month of the season, you know, teams were throwing on them with relative ease. So I'd be more worried about the Lions uh, than than Purdy having another clunker um, because their offense. I think they're going to run the football effectively on San Fran. It's been a quiet issue for them um, particularly between the tackles they have been exploitable against the run and detroit is one of the best offenses in the entire nfl uh, at running between the tackles with both David montgomery and jameer gibbs that'd be my concern if i'm san fran is detroit having these long slow sustained drives which is what san fran loves to do um and maybe detroit kind of gives them a taste of their own medicine
0: so brad the bills get stiff-armed once again by the chiefs um Moving forward to finally get over this particular hurdle, what needs to be done offseason-wise in Buffalo?
2: It's tough. They were, I won't use the term all in, but they were about as close to that as you could possibly be. I mean, this is an older roster. Uh, you know, a lot of guys, you know, Von Miller, obviously injury-related, but a lot of guys that were just kind of getting towards the end of the road for their career that were making a lot of money, and now you got to figure some things out. You have two starting safeties that are in their 30s, are those guys going to be back? Tredavious White at corner gets hurt again, uh, You know, and, and he hasn't been the same player since he tore his ACL a couple of years ago. Can you rely on him to come back and be a good player? They're in a tough spot. It, it's not a very good cap situation. They can obviously you know, restructure some contracts and move some things around, but they need to – hit on a bunch of draft picks, get younger across the board. Um, it, it's It can be tough. This was the window. Again, the window is Josh Allen's career, but this was a particular window um, where they kind of had a lot of good players, a lot of good pieces in place, and they, they kind of got to hit the reset button and, and start over a little bit.
0: Uh, how ridiculous has Lamar Jackson been? And It just seems like uh, across the board on this roster, it seems like everything for Baltimore is coming together at a great time.
2: It certainly is, but but Lamar deserves a ton of credit. I mean, you still don't have Mark Andrews in this offense, who is by far his number one target. Um, Odell Beckham Jr.'s snap count came way down in that playoff game, so it really was kind of the rookies a flower show, a little bit of Rashad Bateman working his way back into the fold. Um, But Lamar was just so, so good running the football, Um, and I hate that matchup for the Kansas City Chiefs. They are very poor against Russian quarterbacks. They're very poor, particularly um, unlike the, uh, the Niners. They're bad defending the run to the edge. So off tackle or outside the tackles, the Chiefs actually have the worst run defense in the league. Um, the Ravens have the most rushing attempts in the NFL um, outside the tackles. So I think Lamar is going to have another, you know, maybe 100-plus yard outing on the ground. But he really deserves so much credit for the strides he's made, throwing the football outside the numbers, down the field, over the middle at the intermediate level, he is a deserving mvp and all the narratives and all the volume stats and the passing and all that he's a good very very good pocket passing nfl quarterback he just he wins in different ways so you know you see the the texans box score only only had 150 passing yards yeah he was remarkably efficient and they were up three scores late and didn't need to throw the football he's been stellar
0: conference finals what are you thinking in both the nfc and afc
2: Yeah, so so I really do think the Ravens are the better team here, and I think they're going to pull this one off. I mean, far be it from me to ever doubt Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. I did pick them to upset the Buffalo Bills last week. Um, but in part because we just talked about the Bills defense was just so decimated with injury and they even got more hurt during that game. And then not to take away a playoff win, but Miami's defense was probably the most injured defense in the entire NFL um, before that Kansas City game. You're, of course, playing in a frozen tundra, you know, to attack by law, basically could not throw the football in those conditions. So I'm not going to say lucky or anything like that, but I think Kansas City's wins just lined up really nicely. They played some teams that were kind of reeling a little bit um and now they go to Baltimore who has probably the best defense in the NFL that are getting healthy at the right time might have Mark Andrews back might get number 1 corner Marlon Humphrey back who did not play against Houston they're just they're just a better top to bottom football team but more so for me we saw the Kansas City Chiefs offense the whole year struggled and i i think they have found some solutions but i don't think it's been a magical fix to their offense i think they just played two very injured defenses so Give me the Ravens out of the, uh, the AFC, the NFC matchup I-, I think is going to be fascinating. I-, I think this is probably the worst matchup the Niners could have gotten um, out of the rest of the NFC pool is the Detroit lions. I mentioned not a good coverage, uh, you know, team at all. They're not, they- they've been getting thrown on all year long, but one of the best run defenses in the entire NFL. And if they can stop Christian McCaffrey and maybe Debo Samuel doesn't play in this game and add that element to If they can stop them in early downs and put Brock Purdy in second and long, third and long, and force him to drop back and pass, maybe they can take advantage, get a turnover or two. Um, And like I said, I do like their matchup on offense. I think they're going to run the ball a bunch on San Fran.
0: One final thing with you, Brad, too. Of the remaining head coaching vacancies, um, what's the inbound timeline, you think, in, in filling these gigs that are still left over?
2: I think the next big domino that will have a, a massive ripple effect is I think uh, Jim Harbaugh to the Chargers is all but done. I think we are going to get that in the next 24 hours, you know, maybe even today. Um, and, and I think that just kind of settles things for the coaching landscape. It will take him out of the Atlanta race, maybe then it's Belichick, or they do go with one of these young offensive coaches. The rest of them I think are waiting on playoff teams. You know, I think um, in Washington, I still think Ben Johnson, the Lions OC, is probably going to be the guy. And then Carolina is fascinating. I'm starting to think it might be Dave Canales, who is the Buccaneers OC, who was in Seattle with Dan Morgan for about four or five years. There's a connection there. He was a great first-time play caller this year in Tampa. He helped revive Geno's career. Now he helped revive Baker Mayfield's career. Why wouldn't you bring him in to help revive Bryce Young's career? Um,
0: I think that might be the hire there. So Brad Spielberger of PFF, what are you writing about? Tell the folks.
2: Yep. So we're looking at, you know, we, we're talking all things free agency. We're looking at the guy that each team cannot afford to lose going into free agency. No surprise for the Colts, it's Michael Pittman. Um, but that, that'll be me. Then the next couple of months is all things free agency, and then we'll pivot hard to the draft. And you and I have some great conversations oh, about yeah. you know, draft prospects to look at and, and guys that the Colts should target in the first couple of rounds.
0: All right. You uh, survived my Sleprockian attitude at the beginning, and then you ended with a pivot. That's well done out of you, Brad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you brad spielberger a pro football focus right there with us on the andy moore automotive group hotline always good meantime andy moore automotive group hotline right now back at home for the first time in what seems forever the voice of the pacers Bally sports indiana Kristen kristenary joins us did it feel good to get back home i sound like john denver the late great john denver but it, did it feel really good to be back home again
1: Oh, there's no question. Uh, Good news was, you know, it was, uh, you know, great to see my wife, and then uh, earlier today, uh, daughter-in-law dropped our two-year-old grandson by. I hadn't seen him in nearly two weeks, so uh, yeah, was it was really good. I mean, uh, 12 days, six games. I think last year we had a 13-day road trip, Uh, so that's you know almost two weeks you're away from home. So absolutely uh, glad to be home and. Uh, you know, would have liked to have seen uh, another win or so. I mean, uh, two and four could have been three and three. Uh, but now you have four straight at home. And and John, with without Tyrese Halliburton, at least for the first three, uh, these are four teams that the Pacers are uh, three and 22 against yeah. in the last three years. I mean, uh, you know, Denver's got about a seven-game win streak. Phoenix, I think, has won five straight against the Pacers. Uh, Philly has won seven of eight, but Indiana beat them uh, earlier in the year. And then Memphis uh, has has had a good uh, winning percentage against the Pacers. So uh, good to be back home, though, and excited tonight to see uh, Pascal Siakam play his first game here.
0: Hey, Chris, what wanker made up this schedule? I mean, how do you, real seriously, how do you go out west for six games and then come back home and get Denver and then go back to back with Philly and Phoenix? I mean, seriously, somebody needs to be kicked in the junk for that.
1: You know, uh, I've I I I looked across, I've, I've looked across, I mean, January is always a rugged month. I mean, there's no question. But, but, but come
0: on, that's a, that's a joke. But, that's a joke. You no,
1: know, you're. I mean, yeah. 17 games in 30 days, and, and as you said, you go out, you basically go out west for for five. You you started in Atlanta, and then you're right, you play, you play three of the top teams in the NBA, and would have been four, uh, you know, with Memphis. I mean, they were one of the best teams in the yeah. Western Conference last year, but they're without John ja Morant. So yeah, yeah, welcome back to, uh, home, everyone. Uh, this is who is on your schedule. Uh, on Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. Let's
0: just say, though, normally, this is like the toughest that you play of any of the road games. They say, and you've said this before, too, that you get home and that is the toughest to get reacclimated to, and then the NBA gives you that. That just seems like – I'm not going to run – it sounds like I'm whining and crying about it, but (laughs) it it seems – pretty unfair to be honest with you so uh. I mean
1: we, we've said this over the years I mean this first game is almost like you're still on the road sure uh, we, we spent the night in Phoenix which I like because you you were able to get a, a you know pretty much a full night's rest then we were up early tomorrow two hour mountain uh, time zone difference I think I walked in the door about three or 315 but I, I felt like that was better than getting home at six or seven in the morning because that's usually what happens. Uh, when you come back from the west, so uh, you know we'll see how how they respond tonight. Uh, they had a sh- they just had a, a uh, walk through here at Gamebridge Field House and tip off in a couple hours.
0: So, Chris Tedari, Valley Sports Indiana's got you covered later on tonight with the Nuggets and with the Pacers. I, I Quinn referenced it on Friday in Portland with you know that that layup and then the foul and then Halliburton looking a little bit gimpy. Did, did you think maybe at that moment that it could have taken the type of path that it does? And I'm trying really, really hard not to get freaked over this, but maybe it's just more so of a bummer than it is anything else. But did you think at the time, maybe, especially after you didn't see him play on Sunday, that it could be more prolonged as it is right now with Tyrese Halliburton?
1: Well, I guess the good thing was on, <clears throat> on Friday night, John, he continued to play. Is that yeah, he you did. know he played thirty four minutes? Chris. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, uh, but you know, I probably wasn't surprised that he didn't play on Sunday, knowing you were come back coming back home. But then, you know, to hear Rick Carlisle uh, tell uh, KB and Andy today that he'd be out for the next three day or three games, you know, I, I think it's injury management. Um You want to make sure that that hamstring um, is at its best as you move forward. You still you know, have just a little under half of the season left. Uh, so I, I think what Rick said, uh, you know, the, the training staff just felt like uh, they wanted to evaluate it more. And and hopefully that evaluation will come on Saturday and then he'd be able to play on Sunday. But it is a bummer uh, from the standpoint that, you know, really looking forward to coming back home with the addition of Pascal Siakam. I mean, if you go back to Friday night's game, even though they lost, uh, this the starting fives net rating in that game, John, was like plus 50. Uh, it was just one of those nights that the bench, uh, you know, did not play up to the way that they've played all year. So I know we're all excited to see both Halliburton and Siakam on the floor, uh, together. And unfortunately, we have to wait a little while longer. It's uh,
0: Chris Denary with us. What, what, um, what is a very small sample size here, but what's been your impression so far? It's tough to get acclimated in general, but to acclimate on the fly, on the road like this with everything else going on, what's been your thoughts on what you've seen from Siakam to this point?
1: Well, I talked to him after the game in Portland, and he said, in the four, I asked him, how have the last 48 hours been? And he said, look, I, I've gotten very little sleep. Um, you know, I'm I'm trying to adjust to a new team. I'm excited. I, I think he was playing on adrenaline. But you see that his ability to hit that mid-range shot, he can get his own shot. Uh, he's long. I think he can guard multiple positions. Uh, Rick Carlisle has said he would be comfortable him playing the three, the four, the five. I mean, you know, I, I watched Phoenix the last two nights uh, against Indiana and then Chicago last night. And one of their most effective lineups at times is Kevin Durant in the five spot. And I think, um, you know, I think you could see Pascal Siakam at times maybe playing that small ball five behind Miles Turner. I mean, you have a lot of depth there with Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson, but it just gives the coaching staff uh, a, a lot more options to work with. So I, I think he'll be fine. Uh, I mean, he's a two-time all-star, two-time all-NBA for a reason has won a title uh, I think the Pacers feel very, very fortunate that they were able to acquire him. And as you said, I mean, it, it takes some time. Um, you know, look at what happened when the Clippers acquired James Harden. Uh, you know, I think, you know, they they lost a number of games in a row, but they've been red hot since. So, um, but, I, but I think Siakam's going to be a, a really good addition to this group.
0: Hey, Chris, somebody had mentioned to me earlier, and listen, their defense is still not very good, let's just be frank. But it is better than it was. It's not quite as stinky. And I think where we have seen some issues, especially in the past two, one obviously with Halliburton, one without Halliburton, it hasn't necessarily been regarding the defense. They've held those two teams under what their normal average is they just have to reach chris it's so important for them to reach that that almost mid 20s average uh per points at 125 or whatever you, if you don't get there then that's going to be problematic and that i've seen that more offensively i guess is what i'm saying than i have defensively as of late from this team
1: no i think you're right i mean the last two games they've been under 50% and they're they're shooting 50% as a team on the year that's number one in the nba and where those numbers have been the last two games in the last two losses, John are really in the paint. If you go back to the Portland game, they were 13 of 34 from the field in the paint. That's 38%. This team shoots 61% in the paint on the year. And then you look back at Sunday's game. uh, They were, they were good again from three point range, but it was, it was around the basket um, that they didn't finish. So you're right. I mean, we, we can always talk about the defense, but if you pull out the last 15 or 16 games, John, they're right around 15 or 16 in the NBA as far as net rating, defensive rating. and that's good enough for this team to win games but but you're right. they you know they've got to get back to you know putting points on the board and, and that's the one number that you can look at when you have Tyrese and you don't have Tyrese. I think they're averaging 116 points a game without Tyrese. And with Tyrese, they're at 127. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty significant difference from an offensive perspective when you have Tyrese Halliburton. Well,
0: you go back to Friday night, and if there's one thing, and, in, in, all right, 37 with, with Jeremy Grant. That's one thing, but you you can't give up fifty percent shooting and ten free throws and ten makes from Malcolm Brogdon. I, I thought offensively more so than Grant. What was the absolute killer was the offensive game, that production that Brogdon was allowed to have.
1: Yeah, I mean he he had two really good games against the Pacers this year. Uh, when you look back at what they did back in in November here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse and. You know sometimes it's it's interesting John sometimes teams are you know certain teams are bad matchups and and I you know looking at the two games of the, the way they were played, uh Grant and Brogdon played really really well in both games, and the Pacers didn't have answers for either of those players uh defensively so uh probably a good thing I think Rick Carlisle said that after the uh, after the game of the press conference Friday night he goes. Glad we don't play Portland again because they've been a bad matchup.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just that, that was bad. And then, you know, obviously you lose that game and that was a bummer. You're so close against Phoenix on Sunday. And besides trying to just isolate buddy defensively late, which Frank Vogel and company got done and they have three dudes to do it. Don't get me wrong, but they got that done. Um, it was lack of execution. And without Tyrese Halliburton, that's what is so concerning for any amount of time, especially in an extended period of time, is late-game execution that we saw and there was no ability to get a good shot late against Phoenix, and that was costly Sunday.
1: Yeah, and you even saw that a little bit in that Sacramento win, right? When sure, You, yes. you played yes. so well, and you, you built yourself a big enough cushion and lead that you were able to withstand uh, the turnovers and and Sacramento making that late run at you. But, but you're absolutely right. That's, you know, as good as TJ McConnell and Andrew Nimhart have been in a backup role um, and, and they're going to be key players here the next three nights, knowing you don't have Tyrese Halliburton, Uh, you know, having Tyrese uh, on the floor in a comfortable situation, you just feel much better about your team's chances in, in clutch time. And, the Pacers have have been good in the clutch this year. If you look back at you know the wins against Boston, against Milwaukee, uh, in Philadelphia earlier in the year, and a lot of that is because of Tyrese Halliburton. So he he definitely you know I heard you say earlier on the show as important as Anthony Richardson is to yes. the Colts, that's absolutely what Tyrese Halliburton is because he is. He, he is the quarterback of this basketball team. Well,
0: and people may giggle about it, but I, you can make an argument that he is as important as any elite-level player to their team across the landscape of the NBA. And that's nothing against, I mean, we saw 70 from Embiid last night. And, you know, whether you're talking about Tatum or Brown in Boston or Jokic and what you're going to see or Murray tonight or anywhere, but just the amount of impact and the way the game goes on both ends compared to when you have Halliburton active and when he isn't, that is just like a canyon of a gap to me.
1: Yeah, and and, I mean, you look at Indiana's record. They're 24-19. and Uh, They just played Phoenix, who is now 25-18. and So they are just a game better than the Pacers, and they're much the same way. I mean, if they don't have Kevin Durant, if they don't have Devin Booker, then it can be problematic for them. The, the, The deal that they have is they now have three, and we saw Bradley Beal go to work on Friday night, but but that's what the Pacers have added. They have added somebody of that ilk in Pascal Siakam, who is an all-NBA player, and you add him to Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner and the rest of the players. I mean, I was on the bus with, with Buddy Heel the other night, and it, it was the game in Portland where he made six threes. I said, Pascal Siakam's going to make your life a lot easier because you're going to get so many even more open looks by having him on the floor alongside Tyrese Halliburton. And then even without Tyrese the other night, he made five. And he made the the big one that gave the Pacers their last lead. So there are a lot of advantages to having really, really good players. And, you know, that's what the Pacers definitely added when they got uh, Pascal Siakam.
0: It's uh, Chris Denary's got the call tonight, Bally Sports Indiana here with the uh, Nuggets and the Pacers. So let's say last time out in Denver, as they were embarking on that West Coast road swing. It was a very winnable game and, I mean, you had, you know, Jokic goes for 25, Murray for 25, Gordon for 20, but to me, the difference maker was Michael Porter Jr., and because he was nearly automatic from distance, seven made threes out of 11 attempts that you would really not want to see happen coming up later on tonight.
1: Yeah, I've looked at all their their guys, and, you know, they, they're playing really good basketball right now. They're third in the West, and and all of them are, are in their last five to ten games have much higher numbers uh, than they've had uh, in their previous ten, and that's Jokic, and that's Michael Porter Jr., that's uh, KCP, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, uh, Gordon, uh, Murray. I mean, they all are significantly up. So they 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 are a very good team. The, the one area that they've been hurt, uh, but they've got good enough starters as their bench. They're the 28th bench in the league as far as scoring is concerned, um, and, and that's where I thought the Pacers really took advantage of Denver uh, early in this road trip. But, again, they've got a two-time MVP. Jokic is coming in off a 42-point game. Um, you know, this this is a very, very good team, and there's a reason they won the title last year.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that, too. I, I'll tell you the other thing, and – I they are so good with their, their starting five that I don't know how likely that it is. But it seems like if you got to their bench, let's say, for example, you get their guys in foul trouble, that's that's where their Achilles' heel can be. Because they got – I know they have a couple of guys, but nothing really spectacular coming off that bench. And I think that's ultimately how you get to them if you do get to them.
1: Yeah, no question. And, and it, it, the, the Pacers' bench has been so good all year. I mean, they average – uh, 50 points per game. That's number one in the NBA. That's why, uh, you know, to see the bench struggle as they did in Portland, I think if the bench would have played even a little bit better, uh, the Pacers, even with Grant and Brogdon putting up big numbers that night, I-, I think the Pacers would have won that game because the the starting five did more than enough to win that game. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, hopefully the Pacers can take advantage of that tonight. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm excited to see Pascal Siakam. I think the fans are excited uh, to see him in this building, and uh, I- I'm sure he's gotten some rest. Uh, hopefully, in the in the last 48 hours, unlike the first 48 hours after he was uh, picked up in the trade. Yeah, you
0: do. You want this to work out so bad. Hey, any news regarding Andrew Nemhart tonight? I know that that was a question mark going in. I haven't seen anything as of late. Have you?
1: No, I have not. I since I'm doing this interview, I did not go in uh, for oh, the presser with with Rick. So, but but somebody's going to have that posted on social media here. So um, well, we got to find you know.
0: it. Hey, I do need something out of you tonight because it always kind of makes me laugh when I see it online. But when uh, Caldwell Pope misses, can you go like Caldwell Nope on a miss on a three point <laughs> miss? That'll make me laugh if you do that tonight. Uh, it really, it's all about me, right? So make me laugh.
1: That that sort of uh, we had something internal, you know, with uh, Tyrese being from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I think we had challenged JJ to use Oshkosh Bagosh, and I think he did. I think he used that at some point. So maybe I can do a contavious Caldwell. Nope. Maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll pull that out. Let
0: me tell you this: if let's just things get back on track health wise with Halliburton. And this team starts on a run. Have JJ wear Oshkosh Bagosh overalls out there? <laughs> Why couldn't you do that? That'd
1: be great. Yeah, I mean, do, do they make them? Do they? Oh I no, guess, yeah. I, I oh, always yeah. Say Oshkosh bagosh, yeah. bagosh for kids. But what do you think I they, they wear they
0: in the Green paint. County?
1: I, I, they'd oh.
0: have to go around naked if they didn't have those. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you you tell us where the the store is that we can buy them, and and we'll 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 do that.
0: Uh, Oshkosh Bagosh overalls. Um, I'm guessing right now, off the top of my head, I'm I'm guessing what's the uh, Jeans Place down in Mooresville, right next to Gray's Cafeteria, right there. There's a uh, nothing but Jeans Place where you go school shopping and stuff, right there. But I, I can find something closer. I I know that that's complete like foreign territory to you, Mister Carmel, <laughs> but. <laughs> if I talk about Moore's you go, uh,
1: what, where? Uh, I, I know exactly where that is. It's not far from where you live.
0: Oshkosh. But that'd be awesome. That We got to be in a good mood. We got to get this thing back in a good mood because we got people hey, a little bit on edge.
1: I, I, so. I saw the other night, in fact, I showed my wife when I got back, um, the Boston, and I'm a big Brian Scalabrini fan, and uh, Drew Carter is doing the road games. And, uh Mike Gorman this is his final year but I saw on on X or Twitter or whatever a picture of them doing the game and like Scalabrini had like a sweater and a shirt on I thought they looked like college broadcasters I was like no tie um, it, it was interesting so I, so <laughs> but I don't think we could get away with the ashkosh bagash uh, um Wardrobe.
0: What did I gotta sell you guys a sponsorship? I get you guys a sponsorship for that. Get those guys moving right now. You can uh, during the free throw. You know the uh, uh, this free throw brought to you by Oshkosh Bagosh. Get right back to the play right. Hey, by the way, how do people how do people respond? Do you get? Does anybody ever bring up the fact when you go to a a short commercial during free throws?
1: Oh, you mean the squeezes? Yeah, the squeezes. Yes. No, nobody really responds. Okay. I I'm mean just curious. No. No. Just I mean curious. I think that's we've seen we've seen that happen over the last I'm gonna say four to five years in broadcasting, not just on our games on Valley Sports, but um I watch a lot of NBA and that kind of stuff. I mean the squeezes are are an opportunity for the sponsor during the course of the game to get a mention. So I think it's I think it's worked pretty well really.
0: You think there's gonna be a rest of the story to Adrian Griffin? being fired after 43 games. I i don't know if I've ever heard of a shorter stint as a, a head coach to start a season than 43 games. And consider where they are in the Eastern Conference. There has to be something more to this, doesn't there?
1: Well, especially when you're 30 and 13, right? Um, I think David Blatt got fired, but he got a full year in Cleveland uh, before he got fired. Uh, you know, we we were just talking about that. I, I'm sure that and Mo Cheeks going, got
0: fired in Detroit um, after 50 games, and then somebody brought up John Beeline with the Cavs lasted oh, 54.
1: Yeah. yeah, that wasn't very long either. Um, I'm I'm sure that going one and four against the Pacers did not help this cause. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that January 1st and January 3rd back to back when the Pacers went to Milwaukee and won um, because it had the Bucks players, management fans, everybody talking to themselves. So it's unfortunate because I, I mean, 30 and 13, you've got one of the best records in the NBA and, and you don't even make it to the all-star break. I mean, it's, it's too bad. And uh, I, you know, he, he'll bounce back at some point. I and mean, he was a longtime assistant, a wonderful player in the league, got a son playing in Atlanta for the Hawks. So, uh, but but it is it's crazy to know that after 43 games he's done.
0: Maybe he wanted like something better than a, a YMCA type of player that they have on the end of their bench. That Giannis's brother. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, Chris. I'm sorry. He's awful, and I know why he's there. He's awful, awful, terrible. But
1: the other, but the other Kumpo is pretty darn good. He's really good.
0: Yes. <laughs> I I guess yeah yeah that's yeah good compliment. Right, but man, yeah. When he gets out, he gets out there, and you go, "Wait
1: a minute! I don't know if you would get picked at the hyper." No. So anyway, you know, you know what's interesting? Yeah. I showed when I got home last night uh, with Embiid going for seventy. There was a picture that popped up when he was fourteen years old, and how scrawny and skinny Joel Embiid was, and what he looks like now. Yeah. So it prompted me to get a picture of Giannis when he was a rookie. And I showed it to my wife, and she's she knows who Giannis is and watches. But And she goes, that's the same guy? I go, yeah. I mean, it's amazing, you know, what happens when you get to the NBA and, you know, just how much stronger you get and how your body develops. But uh, By
0: the way, know. Wes Johnson says Ward's Apparel was his first job in Mooresville. That's what I was trying to come up with. The place for jeans, and I would guess Oshkosh My gosh, gosh for JJ right. one of these days.
1: All right, you guys um, getting going at 6.30, right? 6.30 pregame, uh, 7 o'clock, Quinn and I will be on, and hopefully uh, postgame we'll be talking about a Pacers win.
0: Hey, welcome back, man. Good to be back hey, home. Glad to
1: be home. Glad yeah. to be, I had to remember how to drive home. You know, I mean, <laughs> I hadn't driven for like two weeks, so got in the car and it, you know, just – said okay we're going home <laughs> yeah get
0: that crowd going tonight too i know a lot of people were going man everybody was like anticipating it and there was a little bit of cold water splashed on it today but man these are important yeah like you just don't want to end up losing like eight of nine with all this so just be nice to get a couple here maybe a little crowd enthusiasm will help this group
1: so absolutely absolutely Bye, okay. buddy. well as always great to talk with you glad we're home and we'll do it again
0: All right, Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline. He always brings level-headed thinking to this show, hence the sportscaster of the year in the state of Indiana, Greg Raikstra, joining us now. Hello, Greg. Hello, my friend. How are you? Level-headed commentary is finally here. Thank you for saving the show. I am the calm, zen center of the 3 o'clock hour. Oh, man, I'm just going from one side to the other. Seriously, I'm like Tony Montana and Scarface. I'm just diving into that big pile on the desk right now. So, yeah, Friday, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. And now you know, I'm at the other end of the spectrum. Now I'm really down regarding Tyrese Saliburton. So you got to lift me up. So give me some Sycamore love, won't you? Lift me up. Uh, the Sycamores are fantastic. They got a vote in the AP poll yesterday, buddy. Hey, do you know who voted for them? You? No, I would have. I just don't get a vote. They don't trust me to vote like that. I'd vote yeah. for them every uh, year. Mike DeCoursey, Mike LaPresti, somebody else in the state of Indiana that has ties? I don't know. Do you know how many votes the AP has for college basketball in this state?
3: Uh, On this state, no, but those are two of the guys that I would assume might have access to them that could be voting in the state of Indiana. I'm not sure if – I think Zach Osmer would qualify. not sure if he's a voter. Um, I'm sure there, that maybe – Sam King would get that nod, but I don't know how many voters they have off the top of my head. No, sir. All
0: right. Well, if it's DeCourcy, we need to have him on the show. We got to celebrate that vote somehow, some way. He's in Noblesville. He's available. Well, I saw him before the Pittsburgh game rocking a bunch of Steeler gear down there at uh, Lucas Oil Stadium last month. I said, hey, (laughs) you look really good at all that gear. He
3: is a Pittsburgh native. And he is not an NFL beat writer, so he's allowed to be a complete and total homer
0: for his Pittsburgh Steelers. No doubt about that. Yes, no doubt. Um, All right, so I'll get to Purdue, Michigan later on tonight. We'll get to that, IU and their situation right now. They have Illinois on the road coming up on Saturday. But what'd you make IU, Murray, which is a very tough place to play. Murray State was good in the Mo Valley so far, not so good with an overall record. They survived that. And uh, you're going to get part two coming up here really soon with a very good and injured player back, Bradley Brave Squad. Are you not at the Holman Center?
3: Uh, you know the thing that strikes me about Indiana State as of late, and in the very near future coming forward, is the amount of national television run they are getting, whether it's ESPN two or, or ESPN U uh, or ESPN U. Their their game last week was part of the Valley package on you know. Uh, Valley Sports Indiana. So the fact that they are getting attention and love from their league is something that I very much like to see. And, again, I I think maybe they have wiggle room for, say, a loss, not much more than that, or they would have to run the table and win Arch Madness to be a tournament team. But if they can be a tournament team or if they can somehow – steal an at-large bid, I think they're largely in the same conversation. I think they're on that 11 or 12 seed line, and I absolutely think they can be a team that can shoot their way into the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. John, they lead Division One in three-point percentage as a team at just under 42%. They're a team to be dangerous in March have to make sure they find a way to get there
0: well they, they got a really good combination and you know they can go they can go low but by and large their offense is geared and fueled by the three-point shot and when yep. that's going down and and they you know dialed down the turnovers they can be as dangerous as anybody else I would agree with that uh and again that tends to be the way
3: of so many teams these days you know it is it's. I had a game where IUPUI played Oakland, and Oakland had a, a grad transfer from Hillsdale, which is Division II. And I think he was averaging taking nine threes per game. This is not their team. This is an individual player. I did the math in terms of minutes played per game. He played about 31 and a half minutes a game. So that meant he was taking a three-point shot every three and a half minutes. One player. That is simply that is simply the nature of the beast these days in college basketball, and it is an outlier when you have a team that is that is a not a great three point shooting team or a team that doesn't make uh, or even take a lot of three point shots. It's 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 everybody now. It is truly a math equation. Indiana State tends to do it better than most.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and, and again, I've always said three's better than two. <laughs> so it, it make no mistake about that. Even somebody from Greene County would understand that. Greg Rakestraw is with us. Michigan, Purdue, Peacock coming up later on tonight, 9 o'clock. Um, we we saw the Boilers just kind of do what they did at Iowa and, and roll on the road. You get Michigan at home coming up later on tonight, and you don't overlook anybody. But um, raw meat, I'm assuming, is probably yeah. what the Wolverines look like for the Boilers tonight at 9
3: you know, I think there'll be a team or two that will give Purdue some fits in Mackey Arena at some point in time this year. I don't think Michigan is that team. They obviously went out and took care of business. Um, you know, a little revenge on Indiana for Indiana sweeping them last year. Uh, and then with uh, uh, just, again, taking care of business at Iowa over the course of the weekend, uh, this is one of those that, uh, given the way Purdue has been playing overall, given the experienced nature of that team, you just kind of get the impression that, uh, again, this is not a night where Purdue should seriously be threatened.
0: So, Greg Gregster on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pilot I will fast forward to uh, 3 o'clock on, on Saturday. Is this the final regular season? I mean, are, are all these matchups now with anybody that has a ranking next to their name? Is it a must win situation for the Hoosiers moving forward?
3: You've got to find a way to beat actual NCAA tournament teams. And Indiana's played a lot of them. I haven't beat a lot of them. Haven't I mean, any of them. Um, you've got you've got to find a way to start getting W's in the situation. So I am never on the must win bad wagon as much as you are, John. But we're about to that point for Mike Woodson's team. Yeah,
0: and just I it, did it concern you as much as it concerned everybody else when. Mike Woodson talked about how after 19 games they're still searching, still trying to come together. And I know, I know via the, uh, the transfer portal. I mean, you you are getting some out, you're bringing some in, but 19 games is what we'd be talking about here. You, it's a little too robust. To the, you are to the point. You're to the point of of a college basketball season.
3: It's February 1st, which is obviously next Thursday. You have to know who you are you are finding ways to win the last 10, 11 games of the season, going into the postseason, whatever, what have you. Um, you're like, all right, we don't do this well. This is how we overcome this. It is not, well, we're still searching and trying to find out who we are. Man, it's, it's just not 82 games. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's got to be more of a sense of urgency. And, and you touch on the transfer portal. That's part of what makes this all the more damning to me. Because you can talk about, hey, it's, it's not 1987 anymore. Hey, it's been a while since Indiana has been this. But again, and I referenced the phrase mathematics or sheer mathematics in Indiana State in terms of making threes. Well, the same thing is true from an economic standpoint in terms of Indiana. Quick, John, name me how many programs draw more fans per game than Indiana University in college basketball. Go ahead. Um, Three. You're probably kind of on one hand, exactly, right? Yeah. And so there is a direct correlation now that we are in the unabashed capitalism era of college sports. If you're drawing sixteen, seventeen thousand a game, that also means probably got more money in the coffers for name image likeness for collectives, for things like this. Um, I realize Kalil Ware is a young man that I think is going to be a relatively high pick in the NBA draft or simply an NBA draft pick period. But, You know, so much was trumpeted of of his arrival on campus. I'm like, his numbers at Oregon weren't exactly that great, and his numbers at IU have been okay. I'm not trying to place all the blame on him, because trust me, there's a lot to go around. But you know, if if you don't think whatever reason you can't recruit to Bloomington, you know what you should be able to do: go out and find the best guys in transfer portal want to come play here if not a reason because you got the dollars to give them, and that's not been figured out yet for indiana university basketball so greg, yeah um this program seems to be stuck in neutral on so many fronts and there's no reason that it should be
0: He's greg graister on the andy moore automotive group hotline biggies play butler on the road at georgetown tonight and ed cooley's team first year there for him they've lost six of seven so definitely winnable and then they embark back home against Villanova, they go back-to-back at Creighton and at, right now, number one, UConn. So this is a game, and the situation, really, all these games are vital for Butler, where they stand right now. But you can't go screwing around and losing this thing in D.C. tonight.
3: Right, There are a couple of bingo free spaces in the Big East. Georgetown is one. That's going to get fixed soon. the DePaul is the other. I'm not sure that's ever going to change. Um, you have to you have to take advantage of this. This is where you're avoiding the banana peel before you can then focus on games where it's more about opportunity and less about pressure. All uh,
0: right, Greg, you and Bob did um, the pairing show, I believe, on Sunday, right? The girls pairing Correct. show. No, pairing show. We will have the boys' version of that coming up on a rather busy day in
3: sports on February the 18th. So in case you're not keeping track of this. Purdue plays at 1, IU plays at 3, a pairing show at 5, and there's this little thing called the NBA All-Star Game at uh, 8 mm, o'clock that night. Man. Rather busy Sunday in the state of Indiana is February the 18th.
0: Man, It's going to be a good time. I, I And, again, this goes back to Halliburton here. I, I know the rest of the season is of the importance, but it would be a shame if he would not be allowed or could not participate right. in that as well. So,
3: Normally this is the part in time where you say, hey, here's a built-in 10-day break. I understand the desire to have him playing in the game because you get this like an eclipse. We get it once every 39 years. Um, And so given the fact he's leading vote getter, given the excitement about this team, the addition of Pascal Siakam, yes, to me there is big picture is always more important, but I get it. I feel it. I understand the pull of wanting to have him out there in the starting lineup for the All-Stars on February the 18th as well. I absolutely agree.
0: So Greg Greg Straw, the Sportscaster of the Year in the state of Indiana with us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline and a very solid Young Black Teenagers Tap the Bottle. <laughs> that was well done on Saturday night.
3: That sounded well, good, too. Well, it was 90s night. Yeah. What, what's the, do we have a theme coming up for
0: Saturday night? Oh, uh, it, is, it is 80s. I, I tried to. I didn't play... Nothing but 90s, but it was pretty damn close. But yeah, we go back to what we normally do—a lot of 80s, a lot of 70s. That's where that's where our bread is buttered, I think, on the JMV takeover. Greg.
3: All right, so I have I have a Larceny Bourbon double shot already in the queue from one artist or one group that I will call you with on Saturday night. Okay. So already have the the, the seconds I dedicate to planning these phone calls.
0: That was done earlier today. I'll
3: dial you up early in the show come Saturday night.
0: You got it, buddy. I'll be waiting on you. I'll see you tomorrow, pal. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline right there.